This episode of Troxel is supported by Avail. Content is more than Revit families. If it's digital, Avail can handle it. Learn more at getavail.com. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. This is the podcast where I have a conversation with guests from the architectural community and beyond to talk about the co-evolution of architecture and technology. A little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the episode. I'm asking for a favor that takes literally less than 30 seconds of your time. The short of it is I need as many people as possible, all of you listeners, to add your name to the list of those who are willing to show support for what I'm doing at Tech, which is my day job, to help evolve our industry for the better. It's actually not too different from what I'm trying to do here on the Troxel podcast. This list will then help me tell the story to building product manufacturers that design professionals really do want a better way to engage with their expertise directly, save valuable time, and get their design intent realized. It doesn't really matter if you deal with product manufacturers directly. What I want to do is send a message because the current way that we do this is broken. But most sales reps on the building product side don't have a good reason to change their current approach. That's our mission. People before products and service before sales. So this is where I can use your help. Add your name to the list at tech.com slash join and encourage others to add their name to the list and ask them to share the message as well. This is powerful and necessary for me to reach my goal of making meaningful change for our industry. And rest assured, no information of any kind will be shared with anyone. This is just purely a vote, letting manufacturers know that a better way is necessary. And with that, we will deliver for both sides. Again, the link is tech.com slash join. In this episode, I welcome Adam Wilbrecht back to the podcast. Adam is the chief product officer and co-founder at Concert VDC. He's a registered architect and specialist in building and design technologies. Today, his core interests focus on Web3 blockchain-based services for AEC, IoT edge technologies for buildings, and enabling digitalization of the design, construction, and building operations industries. Adam was formerly the chief knowledge officer at Cunningham Architects, where he worked as an architect, technologist, and researcher for 30 years. He left the company in 2022 to focus solely on concert. The last time he was on the show, he was still at Cunningham, so quite a few things have changed. In this episode, we discuss the new AIA 2022 digital practice documents that now allow for digital media to be accountable, the larger life of data and how it can push into the full project lifecycle, model to manufacturing, environmental, social, and governance, otherwise known as ESG, blockchain, right of reliance, ISO 19650, and more. This was a fantastic conversation. Adam is a wealth of knowledge, and I can't wait for you to hear it. And don't forget to check out the show notes for links to everything that we talk about. So without further ado, I bring you my conversation with Adam Wilbrecht. Welcome back to the podcast. Great to see you again. Thank you, Evan. Good to see you too. 
though a lot has happened uh, since the last time we talked. I think last time you were still at Cunningham. Officially, I was. I was Chief officially knowledge officer of Cunningham Group in Minneapolis. Yes, yes of many, the man of many titles. <laughs> that was my favorite, only, You were the only chief knowledge officer that I've ever known. That was pretty cool. It, it gave some fantastic opportunities. I know when I first became put into an information role, the first thing someone asked me to do is fix a printer within a few minutes. And it, <laughs> nope, that's not what it's about. Um, and the, the knowledge side really was fantastic. Let me roll up my sleeves here and, yes, and help you with exactly. that. Oh, man. Yeah. So yeah. the knowledge side, I mean, that I know we talked about that the last time. So I'll put a true, link to our true. previous uh, conversation in the show notes because it was, there's a lot of great content in there as well. But like I said, a lot has happened. Now you are at concert. And uh, the topic that we want to start off with is the new uh, contract documents just released by AIA. So let, let's start there with, with contract documents. And this is a big deal, right? It is. It is. And it, I think it was funny enough that they released it on July 20th, which was, the, well, call it the 53 anniversary of the uh, the moon landing. But I think people are not fully understanding how what a big deal this is, basically. Uh, we architects have been delivering paper and communicating design on intent on paper since probably the papyrus days. And I'm not talking about the font. You know? <laughs> not the um, font. Yeah. Um, <laughs> My mind immediately goes yep. to the font. <laughs> But, you know, it, it opens up so many new doors. And as someone who, you know, follows Reddit architecture and things like in those community groups and all these architects complaining about why do we get paid so little? Why am I stuck doing repetitive things? And uh, it's, it's really this gateway to completely new services and completely new abilities to, for an architect to deliver anything, as, you know, as a if the embodied knowledge is the value of a company, what can you do to transform how you affect the built world? And if the agency of the architect and the, the provision of the licenses, health, welfare, and life safety of the built environment has nothing to do with great design. It has nothing about delivering on paper. We talked about this in the previous podcast. It, it's, it's called a model to manufacturing is one aspect is how do you take this digital information that's both human readable and machine readable and deliver that to create new value in the built world. So it could be in the fabrication side, pushing data into offsite fabrication, modular, prefab, analyzed, even down to the door poles. You could be doing 3D prints that are then put into a, a bronze forage or something like that. And every, it works at every scale. Um, and it, it's just just a little innovation, a little blue sky thinking. Really, it really opens up doors. This is something that architects have been asking for for a long time. Not every architect, but a lot of architects have. And and I'm, I'm wondering what the reception is because you started off by saying I don't think people understand what a big deal this actually is, which leads me to believe that people are at, have been asking for this for quite a long time. And now that it's here, it, it caught them a little off guard. Yeah, that, that's the irony. Is as we were saying the. the the dog might have caught the car on this one, but you know, for all the large firms that you know we've participated in in our association with the large firm roundtable, and you know, every large firm has a Studio X or a Skunk Works or some sort of innovation studio that was all about the digital and how do we take this incredibly rich digital information we have in a Brevet model in a BIM and deliver that and make use of that. And instead, 
everyone hid behind the E203 contract, which basically indemnifies you from any accountability for the data. Well, <laughs> right. What AIA has done is that they flipped that. So the 203, I guess, is still sitting out there, but there's no update to it. So it's still the 2013 version. But now there's a 2022 version of the E201 that has three tiers of use. And the third tier is really the, the big deal is where if you elect for tier three, you are selecting digital information is going to be part of the deliverable set. So it's not exclusively a digital deliverable. You're still going to have paper, you're still going to have your specs, your drawings, but it allows you now to provide digital content. And it could be just to resolve complexity. It could be for roof slopes or maybe a complicated slab edges or an exterior wall system, or you know even the structural frame, say if you have a fairly innovative structural firm working with you that you know, has it all on Tecla. So it could go straight into shop drawings or something like that. So it, it, you know, that that's sort of the first bite is that it allows you at least to communicate design intent with digital media. But this digital media is also accountable, which is a really big deal. You have to be very clear in documenting exactly what you sent to whom, when. So if there's ever any claim against it, because it's accountable now, that slab that you poured a hundred days ago is curling now. Well, what data was used and you know what information was used for the fabrication of that slab, there might be a digital art, you know, a, a digital piece in there that you're going to have to produce. You know, this is exactly what we gave the contractor at that time. So a lot of this has been going under the radar for a long time, right? And it's been operating in the gray area of where does this digital information exchange fit into the standard of care, the deliverables, like this is the cloudy, murky space that architecture has been in for a long time. And, and this is solidifying its value, its usefulness in the process. Is that a way to put it? I think, well, again, it's making it accountable. So the murky gray area was, yeah, I'll share these files with you, and but you can't hold us accountable for them. But in the meantime, you still get an RFI from the contractor that says the drawings don't match the BIM or the CAD file that you shared with us. So it's still consuming time. And you can see that downstream, there's still value being taken from sharing of the BIM, or they wouldn't be asking for it in the first place. But now when we can share that and have you know, effectively because it's accountable now, it's being put at risk. We could also start assuming that it has greater value. So we could start having reasons to create fee structures or create some sort of service model around, around that BIM. But we can also be reserving that information through construction into the operational phases as well. So there's, there's this larger life of data that's pushing into uh, the full project life cycle is that this Certainly, as people are getting into uh, material life cycles, having all those tracking elements, they're developing these tracking elements for materials. Uh, there's this whole ESG component now coming into investment, which is environments, economy, sustainability, and ESG. And what's the G? Uh, G is governance, but uh, it, ESG accounting basically requires that uh, an organization shows how they're fulfilling these goals, um, and it, which is including their built infrastructure. So how, how a building is actually performing in the operations phase, that's a whole new data set now that has to be produced. Um, and a lot of that can be tied back to BIM uh, databases that are presumably uh, authored and maintained by the architect. This kind of reminds me of that note that is on drawings of 
I don't know if it's still on drawings. I know it was in yesteryear, but it was like, do not scale the drawings, right? Note to contractor, don't scale off these drawings. Like these drawings are to scale. They're drawn on CAD, but that's because we would override the dimensions and uh, right. Or when it was on paper, when it was actually like pencil on paper, it was like, yeah, we just erased the dimension and wrote the right dimension. And we're not going to redraw the whole thing. It's kind of led to this whole idea of, yeah, you can't use this information exactly as presented, right? Verify in field was, was the, this, this catch all and this, yeah. And so then it became this similar mindset when it was the digital stuff. I remember one time in sitting in a risk mitigation meeting or, you know, risk committee. And, uh, it was like one of the teams put on the the drawings of the PDF set, uh, you know, measure off the model. There were no dimensions on the sheet. And the risk committee was like, uh, I, I get why you're doing that, but the standard of care, every other architect out there puts dimensions on their drawings. And so we can't be the only ones who aren't doing that. We can't verify that the contractor has the technology, the skills, the know-how to do the thing that you just told them to do. And we can't make them like that isn't part of our contract even. So that was kind of an interesting, you know, push a nudge in this direction of digital delivery. It's like, yeah, there's this set of drawings, but there's also going to be this model that has a painstaking amount of detail that is a valuable asset in the delivery process. And you've got a risk and a lawyer, you know, these departments saying, nope, don't, don't go there, right? Because the rest of the industry isn't going there. And so this has been this tug of war. This has been the murky area that a lot of teams find themselves in. And further on, on top of all that, I know like at the firm that I was at, there were no AI contracts at all. It was usually the contract was delivered to us from the owner. It was their contracts. They were large agencies, right? They were organizations that did a lot of building, you know, campuses uh, all over the place, and they would provide their own contracts. And maybe those were once based on an AIA contract, but I think there's still a lot of work going on where the the AIA contracts are not the basis of the contracts that the part all the parties sign anyway. So is this going to make a dent in? I mean, obviously, it's a step in the right direction. It sounds like, but but is it going to make a dent? In, not immediately, but but how long will it take? Yeah, there's a couple points within that. Um, yeah, one is what is the model contract? What sort of sets the taste culture? And um, AIA is notorious for risk aversion. So this is kind of an interesting step that actually puts a new form of risk into the game that doesn't have a lot of precedence, if any. I think there's only really one document case of the quality of a BIM being adjudicated. Um, and I don't even remember how that turned out because it really didn't matter <laughs> in the big picture of things. It didn't really stop any anyone from doing anything. It didn't, but it didn't encourage anyone to do anything either. It speaks also to the sophistication of owner groups, especially if you're talking about healthcare or big real estate holders. Is they you know they have a reason for wanting their own contract, but in a lot of ways, um, you know, if you're talking about a Kaiser or someone like that, they're coming in with their bone BIM execution plans. They are actually thinking about the data. And getting something out of the design and construction process for the operational phase of the building. So uh, that's a key point is that the owner groups are getting more sophisticated. And when you're throwing in ESG and all of, and um, even uh, the potentials of blockchain, just looking at blockchain and its potentials 
in the real estate market where you are tokenizing assets and allowing for fractional ownership of these assets and not just data assets, but real world assets, it gets, and we'll have to encourage uh, the listeners to go look that up independently <laughs> because it's a, it, it's a conversation on its own and it, it is still fairly new, but it's coming from more and more sources that the assets of the building are going to have greater value in the operational phase. But there's also going to be more accountability for buildings and within cities when you're starting to talk about smart cities and uh, larger developments there is how does a building participate in a community and how much how much resources does it consume versus what it gives and the push to net zero. You know, a bunch of agendas are coming to bear. Um, so it's a cor- of corporate interest, but it's also of, an, of a municipal city interest that um, buildings are better understood and there's a greater call it matrix or mesh of information and data that's that's being shared. It is interesting to think about it from that accountability standpoint and going beyond the property lines or maybe the exterior walls of the project and think about it operating in this larger ecosystem community. Because, I mean, capital A architecture should have those impacts on its community. And yet we're very, you know, keep that at arm's length um, because that's a... Uh, I don't know what's over there. I'm a little scared of what might be over there, right? I don't want, I don't even want to talk about it, what's over there in this, so that the ESG requirements, um, the operational outcomes, right? Uh, it, it's interesting because this is a double-edged sword. It, it creates more accountability for the partners who are proposing, building, handing over the keys to this thing that their hypotheses actually play out, right? So, Many buildings are just a prototype, um, and they, even the post-occupancy surveys, right, are very much like right after they move in. Hey, how's that working out for you? Cool, and 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 the architects on to the next project. This actually gives the opportunity for architects to extend the relationship beyond handing over the keys and participating and contributing to an ever increasing value in the buildings daily life to the actual users of you know owners and users of that building i think that that's that's there for the taking if somebody's willing to address that in their this is opening up new ways new business models in practice potentially right and and that to me is what's the most exciting but how what's the adoption what's the what's the taste for for that kind of uh risk but reward potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the architects have sort of been so good at protecting their service model that they find it very hard and uncomfortable to like to go. to look beyond it is like, well am I still an architect? Well is, you know, how hard are you defining that title? I mean software architects came along and <laughs> you know use it quite quite liberally and quite fluidly. Architects are much less uh likely to take a more fluid approach to the to the title and what it can mean for the built environment. But again, they're just, they're looking at it, how it's defined in this very safe space of the contracts. And I think that's why the contracts are so important is here's sort of permission to go into a new paradigm of what could be a contract deliverable and the value of it ultimately, especially if it's something that is going to have an evolution into the operations and performance of the building. 
Um, and on top of that, I mean, if you're looking at Silicon Valley and you're looking at all of the startups that are firing up around AEC, there's, there's a lot of them that are reliant on some sort of reference point. So anything that's in the 3D scanning or photogrammetry that's looking at progress, you know, even drone photogrammetry insurance companies looking at all this information. So it's not just the contractors. OSHA, they need a comparative. And whose model is the comparative? It could be the architects. Architects might be quick to run from that, you know, more risk, more, but how could that be greater reward? There's also model to machine uh, or model to robotics. So if you look in there, one of my favorite companies is Dusty Robotics out of uh, the Boulder, Denver area. They have this robot that goes and right draw, literally draws the wall layouts down on the slab. That robot needs a reference. Well, so what's the source of truth? Is it the architect's model? And if it's not, why not? What is what is what is the next phase of development that is placed on this, you know, especially for wall layouts? What what more is a contractor going to add through a shop drawing process that's going to change where the layouts of the walls are or the or the penetrations um for the piping and things like that? So it's all, you know, we, as architects, we develop the seed product that fuels the entire industry. And so, you know, we're the, the source, call it the energy source, the primary resource. But up until now, we've just been throwing it over the wall for collaboration purposes, that wonderful collaboration word that makes you sound so impressive. But what it really means is that you're doing a lot of free work. Why can't you capitalize that work on that work? So getting back to the contracts and at piece you were talking about earlier was you know these intricate models well there's no perfect model and that's the other piece that people shy away from is well i can't deliver the model it's not perfect there's going to be something bad so what very wisely the is in the contracts is that when you're sharing data data assets is that you put in what's called a right of reliance so you're writing in I'm sharing this model with you. There's lots of wonderful things in it, but you can only use it for this purpose. So in one case, it might only be for cost estimation. It might only be for energy analytics. It might only be for roof slopes or some complex geometry, like a big rain screen assembly. So yeah, you're going to get a lot of data with this, but this is the only data set from it that you can use it for. Or you could flip it and say, use it for everything except the doors and windows or something like that. So this right of reliance piece is a very powerful thing that should help everyone understand that you don't have to have the perfect model. They're in control of that, uh, what it's getting used for. I think that's, yeah, that is super important. So that gives people a little bit of peace of mind. It's just, how do you start, how do you keep track of all that over time? Right. Because how many models like, on a complex building project are there? Like they, there's no answer to that question, but it's a lot, right? It's always a lot. I saw something recently where somebody was sharing a, a a tower in the in the Middle East, and it was it was something like eleven or twelve hundred data sets that were all combined to create the federated model. Which so it's not a it's it's just a collection of linked files, right? And and who is deciding what you can rely on for each one of those pieces, and that changes over time, right? So as design goes from fuzzy to focused you can increase the number of things that that model can be relied upon if you choose. But where do you track all that? How do you tr keep track of all that? And who does that? And I, I mean, it sounds like the architects potentially in the driver's seat if they want to be there. 
But that is a management issue all of a sudden that we've never had to contend with before. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful question. It actually fits into the blog we just wrote on concert, um, concertbdc.com. We just, or goconcert.com. We just uh, posted that this morning. Data management is a huge piece of this. And as this audience probably well knows is that there isn't just one big deliverable that, that we, this is a process. It's actually an engine room of receiving data as built conditions, well, you know, LIDAR, photogrammetry, all kinds of, you know, even GIS information and information from surveys. That's all the fuel for design, but that's all coming in data now. We're synthesizing that into schematic design, you know, approval images. So early models, renderings, VR experiences, these are all getting approvals. So if you're familiar with ISO 19650, everything, you know, the process that runs through, you know, a design that then ultimately has to go through approvals and not just from the owner, but this is from all the collaborators. And then it comes back until it has final approvals. Then it goes into the construction space. So there's that whole element of the engine. And then there's the actual construction documents and now the operational um, assets as well. So it's an iterative program. The single source of truth is fleeting, basically, before the next iteration comes along. And now that's the new truth. And uh, by hook or by crook, by contractual machinations, you know, it's either there's either a cost impact or there isn't. Um, we're very familiar with that, doing that with paper. But now as we have digital artifacts, we're going to have to track them explicitly. So uh, that's where concert comes in, and this is where our adoption of blockchain technology has really been really been valuable because the whole point of blockchain is that it's an iterative technology that you build each new record on top of the old one. You don't erase the old record and put in the new one because that old record's still just as important as the new one to know what came before what. And with blockchain and the technology that we're exploring, which is very similar to NFTs, actually, which marries the digital information that would be in a delivery package. So it's not just one file like an NFT, which is a picture of a bored gorilla or something ridiculous like that, but um, but the whole catalog of whatever you're delivering. So it could be a couple BIM files with the links. It could be a bunch of CSV files that are part of the model to machine paradigm that might be used to drive fabrication, uh, you know, PDFs of the specifications, you know, the, the whole, you know, the whole data, compilation again what we call a delivery package at concert we call it a collection that can all get written uh with its hashes of those files into a package that also includes the identity not only of the person who's authorizing it but also the organization that it's tied to so now all of a sudden you know we could say hks or canon or cunningham or any of those firms can, are basically putting this imprimatur out in cyberspace that says these exact files belong to this organization and they were delivered to XYZ on exactly this date. So we basically have this digital receipt of not only the creation of the files and their existence, who owns them, and then how they were, they were distributed as well. So um, it turns out to be a very robust and unprecedented record uh, that'll that facilitates digital delivery so the record keeping is happening i want to walk this back a little mm -hmm. bit and just make sure that we're all understanding what you just said uh, maybe i'm going to try to dumb it down a little bit because it is it's not the easiest thing to understand but it's also not that difficult the idea of an immutable ledger is what i you know there's this 
the records go in and they don't get erased, right? And so when you're when you're an architect and you're you're going to pass <clears throat> when you're going to pass a file through concert so that it gets a hash, right? And that basically says, okay, this document was let's just call it validated at this time. It was uploaded by this person. They're responsible. There could be a license of that of their their professional license attached to that. Is that right? There can be. Yes. Yes. Blockchain. Blockchain has this robust identity component. So it's not just who, but also what your credentials are. It can also be attributed to that file or collection of files. And once that happens, then it's like, okay, then, and it also has the potential to talk about who it was distributed to, right? So people, these individuals with their identities received it. So that, that is this file. And what you're doing at concert, correct me if I'm wrong, is you're basically scanning the contents of that file and not, not for like any privacy reasons, but just to say like, here are all the elements contained within, and this is a secret, not, not even a secret. Here's a code that says, this is the file. That's all it's saying. Right. And, and then if there was anybody to come back later on that says, well, here's what, here's the file I got. You could actually compare it back to that specific point and verify if that was the file. Right. That's correct. Is that correct? Yeah. So, okay. so the hash is derived not from the contents of the file. You're partially right on that. What basically what it does is it reads the ones and zeros that are saved in their exact order. The storage media. Okay. It looks at them in their exact order, and then through a cryptographic equation, effectively creates this hash, which is which just looks like gobbledygook. It's just literacy. it's a unique identifier for that exact it's, sequence of exactly. ones and zeros. But it, it, that is always the outcome of that file. And you can even rename the file. It won't matter. It's the actual file itself uh, will always derive that same outcome, that same hash every time it's run through this algorithm, as long as it hasn't been changed. But if you go into a Revit file, you move a door one inch to the left, you go into an Excel file, you change one cell. You You're changing the contents of the database in the order of the ones and zeros, right? Okay. So any changes, it has zero tolerance for any changes whatsoever. Uh, so that it is the absolute way to authenticate that the file is that exact file from that point in time in history. And it could be copied a million times too. That The big thing is our data is decentralized. Everyone talks about the common data environment and we're going to have the absolute truth of this file is going to be saved here. Well, yeah, it could be saved there. It but someone might open it and change it <laughs> after you've saved it there so dutifully, but you're also copying it and sharing it. And it could be in, it could live in five places. Yeah. It, yeah. It could be in 40 places, you know, 50 places. And all of those are the truth. So the single source of truth doesn't become the file itself. It becomes the registry of that file. And frankly, what could happen is that original file could disappear forever. Someone, you know, everyone's collectively deleted it. And by virtue of the fact that this record exists, but no one can replicate that file that's a different kind of proof as well is that this file did exist, but any of the examples that are being brought forward are not often. They don't match. Right. And so we can't resolve this conflict based on that. So it's sort of turning the tables on um, it's not about the dog. It's about the dog collar and it's, and it's, you know, return, you know, it's owner basically um, because the dog can be duplicated. And the idea of the the blockchain, you can't mess with it, right? Because it is also decentralized. It is there's copies of copies of the all of these records that go in, and that's widely distributed. So that if there were any one attack on one of those, 
it, it wouldn't match all the other ones that are out there. Correct. And the key point there is that it's not just copied hundreds of times, it's that that record is actually duplicated across servers that are owned by different individuals. So no one owner, and this is in a public blockchain uh, as compared to a private blockchain, which might be completely on Microsoft servers or Amazon servers. Um, in this case, it's on indi- servers that individuals control. And yeah, there, there's just no way to, you'd have to change more than 50% of the records across all of those servers to modify the data. Which would be an incredible to, feat. Yeah. Yes, yes. You'd have to be a nation state at best. And plus with all the cryptography attached to it, you have to also even just decode everything without having the master key so yeah it's a it's 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 fair to say it's uh quite immutable so what so when it comes to having this record that's one thing now when it comes to understanding what's in it and seeing what's in it like through a user interface kind of experience is there let's say the worst case happens and we need to go back and we need to validate and verify what happened when What's that process like for somebody who is managing this data? So the wonderful thing about concert is that the data itself unlocks its record. So we we effectively broker the encoding of the file onto blockchain. Uh, but we keep our own records as well. So the blockchain record itself, as it stands, is very hard to read. Like It isn't human readable. This is why format. I brought the question up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So um, if concert wasn't there, there is still a way to authenticate the file. It's just a much more difficult process, but it can be done. Uh, But with concert in place, it's literally just a drag and drop of the file. So you could be, um, you know, you could be a a downstream contractor, subcontractor who's, you know, fabricating the windows or something like that. And you've got all these files on your desktop from all your jobs and, you you find a file. I don't even know what this file is. You can drag and drop it into concert and it'll tell you who owns it. You know, it'll give you the full, if it's a real file, if it's been a registered, if it's a registered file, it'll give you a full authentication of who owns it, what project it's tied to. It's like reverse phone lookup right here. It absolutely <laughs> is. Yeah. It's like yeah. Google reverse image lookup, all of that. It's so, but, it, but it'll tell you more. It'll even tell you, I mean, just the full date timestamp, but also tell you what other files it was distributed with. Because when we share files, we don't share them individually. We share them in this contextual package. So you're getting a group of files that are meant to work collectively in some, you know, in some fashion. So you might just have one file, but you might be missing all of its all of its brothers and sisters and cousins that were also included on that. It's so, like looking at the source code of a web page without all the images present, right? That are directly linked to that that code, and you just get a bunch of broken image. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so but at least you kind of have some of the story there. Like, a, okay, well, we give we have the ability to give more of the story too, and this is derived from the NFT side of the technology. Is that you? We can package in a whole ton of metadata. So this is where we can put in the authorization. So Evan Troxel authorized the use of this file for, and then have the right of reliance. So this, this is only for pricing. This is only for constructability review. This is only for door manufacture. Um, so you might find out that. Well, that isn't just in my email box anymore. Like that, that's the crazy thing, right? Is that that's how this has actually worked for so long is like, okay, Brandon, said it was it, it worked this way and then you know three weeks later sally took over and it changed the changed the 
right of reliance and but it's in her email box it was in his email now what you're talking about is kind of this ultimate repository of the breadcrumb trail like that tells the entire story that's a great way to put it the yeah the breadcrumb trail it, it stores all the breadcrumbs so it's not just having the asset having the file it's understanding the context of the file um, context is king in our industry it's you need to understand what and how and why it's being used uh, we also include the versioning too. So That's what I was going to bring up. Yeah, yeah. You might find that it's version forty-three of fifty-seven. Right. Well, that's not a reliable file. Probably, <laughs> you know, it's uh, um, it's been superseded so many times that before you commit to work, and this is what helps. You know, people need to understand a shared file not only puts your firm at risk, but it puts all the consumers of the file at risk too. They're they're taking the risk that the information is good and that whatever they produce from it is going to be relevant you know no one wants to you know in in the case of hks and sofi stadium you know, there was 37 and a half thousand fabricated metal triangles for that huge canopy imagine that you produced all 37 and a half thousand of them and it was the wrong version <laughs> you know they, no no we set out a whole new set of csvs the following week you didn't see that so yeah those are all rejected you're holding holding your thirty seven thousand shingles <laughs> wow so so this sounds i mean it sounds fantastic it also sounds kind of i could see people being really scared of that level of accountability uh because on one hand there's this there's always been this kind of sentiment of don't send them our files man like those are our that's our that's our secret sauce. Um, all they get is that's our intellectual property. All they get is the drawing, the intent, the representation of BIM or the process. Let's just call it. I guess the BIM is a process, but it's it's interesting to think about it that way. And then there's this other side, which is like take all the files, like just have and 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 the lack of tracking that hap- that goes along with that. Because yeah, uh, just between the design team and the visualization team, like. The, the design's always changing and the rendering people can't get the render done because the design is always changing. That's just the microcosm of the actual uh, ecosystem that we operate in and, and kind of navigate our way through the construct, the entire real construction process, working with owners, working with multi-headed client groups and stakeholder groups and all of that stuff. So I can see how this fits into tracking that bringing a level of accountability to that and then you as concert are sitting in the middle of that and i want you to just set the record straight right now like i'm not actually showing concert the what's in my private file that i can't show anybody because i signed an nda with the client and they don't want anybody to know about it you're actually i'm not actually uploading my file to you so i want to take a little bit of the fear away through this system of as we move toward more accountability and the value that that could potentially unlock and, and just kind of dispelling the the fear that could happen along the way. Sure. Sure. Just as a point of clarification, you don't have to, you don't have to upload the file for us. If you do upload the file to our servers, it does give you additional capabilities such as sharing the file and having that distribution recorded onto blockchain. Uh, but otherwise we can just act as a pure notary for the existence that this file exists. It belongs to this this group and it's this version basically so the authentication um the authorization and the right of reliance does come with the file distribution and sharing because that's the only way to in, to write that into the blockchain 
But then you can delete the files off of our server if you want. Basically, we just need to be in possession of the files for that distribution process. But otherwise, uh, you know, we really do just act as a notary, and we are this governing record. It ties into this whole decentralized nature of the data is going to be where it's authored. If you're authoring on an Adobe product, you're going to be saving to their Behance cloud, likely, or um, even on tier cloud. So Adobe's looking at it too. (laughs) Yeah. Adobe's looking at, you know, uh, I don't think they are, but (laughs) name the software that's cloud hosted. Now you're saving on their servers. You're not saving, you know, it's not 1998 anymore where you're authoring on software that's on your hard drive and you're saving to your network. That's happening less and less. Everything is up on someone else's cloud. And frankly, talking to a lot of firms, they're not bringing the data back. They're not bringing it back onto their servers. So what Concert offers is actually an ability to capture that data, bring it to another storage area. So now at least you have a duplicate copy. And in our roadmap will be a way for you to bring it down to your servers too. So it's the only the exact files that you put into blockchain that you registered that are really worth keeping effectively. So these are the files you put at risk. Um, and then so we, we can knit that all together into... Not a common data environment, but at least a managed product project data environment that makes sense, that recognizes the reality that data is everywhere. Let's take a quick break to share more about our sponsors. You've already heard a lot about Avail as a longtime sponsor of the show. But wait, this is a new message for you, distinguished listener of the Troxel podcast. We can't talk about Avail's latest desktop release without talking dynamic paths. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, of course you do. Dynamic paths allow BIM managers to store data in BIM 360, OneDrive, or any other cloud solution. In the latest version of Avail, they expand on location agnostic, making content easier and faster to find for the user. Imagine not having to worry if the content is on a local network drive or in the gazillion cloud storage locations. How is this even possible? Pure magic. It's the stuff of unicorns and rainbows, my friends. Let's keep this just between you and me. Here's some of the details. Following on the promise of being content agnostic, Avail now makes location complexity a thing of the past. Content is more than Revit. It ranges from Rhino to AutoCAD to Office documents. Well, this is next level. We're talking network locations. Have you ever seen one location where all the project content lives? Snap out of it. Of course you haven't. Content can live anywhere from the local network to BIM 360 to OneDrive to any other cloud location. Why does this matter? Well, good thing there are no dumb questions, because the answer is that it frees up users to concentrate on design, which pays the bills, and getting content into a project, not managing technical issues around network drives and paths. Let's face it, they aren't that good at that anyway. Avail's mission is to make finding content simpler and easier. Like our favorite architect Louis Kahn once asked, Data, where do you want to live? I don't think he really asked that question, but Avail allows teams to, so let's just roll with it. And hold the phone. For those of you who know what this means, Avail also supports federated data requirements. Data can live where it needs and must live, allowing users secure and simple access to it. So what's the takeaway? What's the big picture here? Settle down. I have it right here. Avail is a platform that connects all types of data from all types of locations hiding complexity. Try it today. 
Go to getavail.com to learn more. And now let's get back to our conversation. It's interesting also to think about this as just a way to authenticate the decision-making process, right? Because that we're seeing so many tools nowadays enable architects to make decisions by using it. You know, the old way of doing it was like, we make the decision and then we document it. But now as we use real-time rendering, we can make decisions in a rent fully real-time rendered environment and the rendering tool becomes a design tool. I think this is not unlike that in that it, it gives us the ability to document who decided what, when, along the whole way, which is the basis of the outcome that we're all after, right? We're all professionals. We all signed off on this. We all decided this is the direction to go. Here's the record of that. And that to me is, that's been missing for so long, right? Which there, I know some architects told me that they had <clears throat> the last sheet in their set was all the decisions that had been made. It was just like a giant table. Okay, on this date, this person decided this. On this date, this person decided this. So when anybody was going through that set of paper documents, they said, who decided this? This is crazy. Well, you could skip to the last page and find out. And I thought that was really an interesting way to do it. But for the most part, that doesn't happen in our industry. I think the only thing I've seen that is a close analog is the the old-fashioned phone log. And that was the closest thing I spoke with so-and-so on this day. And we decided to make this change and, but that doesn't get shared. That doesn't get, you know, that gets shoved in some file that is now sitting in Iron Mountain, never to be looked at ever again, if it is existed at all. Which is another important component of the blockchain, right? Is this idea of a a public ledger, right? And the, the level of accountability that that brings to the overall viability of this process, right? Which is just like, these decisions are recorded, but not only that, they're, they're kind of published. And it's not like you're publishing private information, but you're publishing that, that the authentication of that thing happened at this time. The, probably the best way to position is that you're publishing it democratically. So what you're, you can't do is exclude project participants from the information. Um, so you can't, like if you're on... I'm not picking on Autodesk, but just if you're on Autodesk's BIM 360 or ACC, uh, you know, at any time, if you're hosting the data, you can switch off a collaborator. You can detach them from their ability to participate and access the record database. So in this case, the records are positioned in, in, in such a way that, if, again, if you have a file, you can unlock the information. And so you're, you can never truly, if you participate in the project, you can't be disassociated with your contribution Hmm. to that project. That's really interesting. I think about, I, I, this is a total tangent, but I think about ways for people to show their potential future value by pointing at things like that, because it's like one thing for when you're going to look for a job in architecture and you're showing renderings or photographs of a, of a building. And it's like, well, what, what did you do in that project? <laughs> this is an actual ledger now that, that says, here's what you did on that project. And somebody could look that up. If you put that information in, it certainly is look up a boy. I've seen people in the community, like, uh, you know, just coming out of school, I'm going to, sh- it's, it's funny to see what they're worried about, but I want to, that they want electronic copy of a, Revit file I made or of my renderings, but I don't want them to steal my design ideas. Well, the, okay, do with that what you will, but you know, you 
with concert, you could actually register your design before you share it. So if you ever did see it used in a way that didn't fit, you know, you can basically say, I'm sharing this with you for the purposes of review or a potential employment, something like that. So that that's actually a, a, a right of reliance use <laughs> that this is good enough to be reviewed for hiring me or something like that. But it could also be used for graphic designers, people writing spec scripts. Um, anytime you're, again, when you're sharing something, you're putting your intellectual property at risk that it's going to be used in some way that you hadn't intended. So the best protection you can get is to get some sort of record that says, this is why I shared it with you. And ideally you agree to those terms and conditions and that that can be written back on the block that when someone accepts it, that they are agreeing to those terms and conditions of, of use of the file. Let's talk about the benefit of that because the the idea there. Did we talk about the Marlon Blackwell lawsuit at all? Are you you? I'm sure you know more about this than I do. I think you're gonna have to refresh my memory on that one. Or is so that the there New was York a guy who he, Marlon Blackwell. Who, he's an architect in I think it's I want to say Arkansas. Don't kill me, audience members, if I didn't get that right. But that there was a, a a casino that he designed, and he was the design architect, and there was an architect of record. And at some point during the process, the design architect was, he was fired, basically. I don't know if it was actually a firing or if it was just, you know, the project didn't go anywhere. But lo and behold, this building shows up, right? And and it was like the building. And for the most part, like it was not that different. And so the architect of record had taken the model supplied by Marlon Blackwell's office and you know, I'm very loose on the details here, but, but the idea was like, he thought the project was dead and this other architect took what they had done and built upon it and constructed this project. And so this idea that you're talking about where it's like, okay, no, this was, this was my intellectual property. Like it actually is my intellectual property. Our office designed that and drew it and modeled it and made all of these decisions and were paid for it up to a certain point. And then it was taken and other things were done, which totally breaks the, the contracts. Right. But, but it was all kind of done under the radar as far as we know. And so kind of this idea of actually protecting that the design output of an architectural office is something that this, I mean, he actually took them to court and he did actually win. This was a big deal because I think a lot of times that those steps aren't taken. Right, because it's such a daunting. Well, what you bring up is mountain to climb is a, certainly a point of confusion people have is that we're not a digital rights management. So, you're, if you the idea in order to be successful, when you share a file, it has to have utility for the recipient. They need to slice it and dice it and do whatever they need to do to it to do their work. So, to put it into this package, like it's in a digital, right, you can only look at it, but you can't you can't manipulate it in any way. That's certainly a legitimate way to to look into this, but ultimately we we don't think it's a successful one because you're going to require people to have software on both sides and to even receive the file and then to keep it you know sort of in this walled garden while the recipient has it so uh, it just doesn't work um, so you know all we can do through blockchain is basically establish that one the file exists under their authority and that they can mark that point in time so half the battle is just what was the timestamp? You know, that's my original idea. No, it was my original idea. I did it first. It's like, well, I have this, I have this record that's pretty much indisputable, saying that I created this on this day. 
can you better that this exact file yep. right because you can just say you could re-upload that exact file yep the hash matches okay verified right and you know architectural design can be very complex but when you're getting into environmental design or logos or you know these these sort of other sundry items that are the um, out, output of creatives you know that that's also just ip that deserves to be protected i mean we're really interested in anyone in the who is a designer of any sort of creator to have the ability to you know basically mark that point in time i created this ip and now i can share it freely to try and get value out of it without worrying about it being stolen or if it is stolen i have a pretty um, airtight case to say that this was mine and I shared it. I even have proof that I shared it with you on this day. And now here you are, you know, violating my copyright. I've got a case. Are there ways to tie this back to where we started our conversation with the value of these digital assets throughout the timeline and potential new ways, or let's just call it, you know, cutting edge, maybe not bleeding edge, or maybe there are bleeding edge cases of ways to create value by marrying the, uh, the the new opportunities in contract docs with, with the stuff that you're doing at concert. What, what's interesting about with it, the way the AI contracts positioned it is that the E201, which is also tied to the G203, which is the BIM execution plan. So it's very much built around BIM, but it's not exclusive to BIM. There's elements for BIM-derived data, which is basically design data, which is any data frankly. Uh, they leave that part nice and blank. It just has a header that's other data, basically. But because it's in the contract, it actually becomes a front-end discussion. So now you are having this critical conversation with the building owner, the client, of what do you need? What do you want? What, how are you going to operate the building? Things that don't really happen right now with a business development leader or a project manager. They're very much about deriving the fee, how many hours is it going to take to do X? But now you've got this new critical conversation of, well, we're, we're going to deliver for construction, but is there more? What else can we do? How are you going to operate the building? What are your ESG requirements? How can we fulfill other needs that you have as a building owner and, you know, or property manager or whatever? So by bringing those into the front end, that that's where the value is created because it's, it's ultimately changing the fundamental conversation because the deliverables aren't just boilerplate anymore. Now there's the ability to do, to deliver more. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to be too prescriptive about what that is because I don't know all the markets, what a multifamily building developer is going to need it. Who usually flips the building in a year is going to be much different from say a hospital or other institutional owner who is going to be, you know, starting remodels the day the paint dries on the, on the first drop. Oper yeah. Operating on different mm -hmm. timelines for sure. And then we're looking yeah. into um, transportation as well. Uh, transportation DOTs are already a hundred percent digital across the country. So they're looking for ways of authenticating the data and, and keeping long-term records on that data, which concert is actually ready built for, which is. It's interesting thing. to think about how AI plays into this and deep fakes and all, you know, this is another way to kind of combat against that. And, and everybody's seen a document that's been touched up, changed, whatever, and, and, and had to try to figure out a way to go back through all their records and show, no, this was the actual, this is, 
the one you're showing me has been doctored, right? Um, that is only going to get more and more of become more and more of an issue, right? With with the ability for, you know, what we're seeing happen with with it's happening on still images, it's happening in CAD files, it's happening on video ev- everywhere. It's definitely a major major issue that firms and leaders in these firms are going to have to deal with directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that actually uh, has been brought up on the, on the Hollywood side of things. I, I'm not sure if it was Scorsese or Coppola or someone of their caliber uh, wrote a piece about a year ago saying that there needs to be some way to authenticate original photography uh, because of the deep fake issues, because of the doctoring issues, that if there is some sort of ledger out there that records what this or the original of this is, and it's provable. Um, so we fit into that same equation. Absolutely. Meanwhile, there's young Pacino in, in Scorsese's film. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's an original deep fake. <laughs> so, so there's an opportunity here to, for the audience that listens to this show for sure, which is to add value to the process in the firms that they work in and be able to bring these kinds of issues to the forefront or be the champion of these kinds of things. Because like you said, the current business development leaders aren't necessarily, or project managers aren't necessarily thinking of all of these things. And they probably aren't going to, right, without without the help of people who are like the, the ones listening to this show, um, because it's just not even on their radar. But then there's also this hurdle to overcome for the people who do think like this, to actually get the ear of those people where they don't just dismiss this kind of thing completely. I know you guys at Concert are writing a lot of blog posts to kind of expose this type of information so that a wider audience can digest it. Um, I'm just wondering, what are the tools, what are the resources out there for people who are willing to take this stuff on and start to change the game in their firms when it comes to unlocking potential value, having these critical early conversations, not only with the clients, but but just with the internal leadership and the workings of companies and how slow they are to kind of react to this kind of thing. Well, there's certainly the, call it the, the long format people like a Phil Bernstein or Randy Deutsch um, at IIT who are writing, you know, actually writing things with a binder, <laughs> a bound edge on it that that um, at least mark a point in time saying, look, this is coming. Um, you've got Bernstein's Design Data Architecture book, which is actually a recommended read, I think. But there, there's also uh, the future of, well, what's the name of it? That The Future of Professions by Suskind and Suskind, too, that's talking about how AI is going to disrupt the professional workspace. And we're, we've already seen it um, in a few areas, uh, like as financial analysts are the next to, to get bit pretty hard by AI, but architects are in the mix as well. Uh, structural engineers certainly are. So part of it is just existential is, and that, and that's the point they make there is um, technology, the value of the data, you're leaving it on the shelf. You need to unlock it because you're going to need this additional revenue anyhow, because the race to the bottom fee for services, especially once AI comes into the fold, um, you're not going to be talking about three to five percent less on each successive project. You're going to have that client that wants fifty percent less. You know, is going to offer fifty percent less. Um, you should be designing for that right now. There should be some more, a lot more urgency in it. Instead, we've, you know, COVID didn't expose us the way it did the restaurant industry um, for for what the flaws in the system were. That you know, we've got some pretty big flaws 
we have not gotten more productive. We don't innovate. We, we basically stay inside the guardrails pretty closely. So what, on, on one side, there's just should be this, you know, it's the frogs boiling in water. <laughs> the water's getting hotter. And it's kind of shocking that people just are, talk about it tangentially, but maybe it's boiling so slow they think they'll be retired by the time they're, that it comes to affect them. And in some cases, that would be true. But if you're, I'd say, under the age of 45 right now, you will be practicing differently. Um, the question is how and or will that different practice be because the fees are so low that you're just going to be basically limiting, not even turning on the heat in your building. <laughs> you know, it's it's those sorts of concepts. So, you know, it's it's really reaching out to that next generation who also wants to make an impact. They don't want to draw bathrooms. They don't want to. But then, you know, again, you see them on social media complaining about the wages and things like that. It's like, well, all the meat is there for you to go do something differently. So where do you go that's outside of, I think, sort of the main people at least highlighting the innovation that's possible, like Randy and Phil. You're looking at people like Pascal Bournet and uh, his last name is Shayu, who's looking at AI and on LinkedIn. Um, that's, you know, it's just, it's in these social feeds that people are showing up. I mean, it's little bits and pieces, but you got to be creative to start putting it together. And then, you know, building operations is a big opaque, it's a, it's, it's kind of that place that architects don't want to look because it involves a lot of rigor with data and rule following. And it's not, it's not a creative place, but there is so much money tied up in building operations that it's just a place we should be because as you were talking earlier, building's not just going to exist within its property lines. It's going to be a citizen within a community. It might be sharing resources such as, you know, I've got an extra megawatt in my battery pack here and this building over here is running a little light for the week. Maybe we can share that and transact it through a decentralized autonomous organization. There's the ArcaDAO group. Um, which is interesting. I just recently discovered they're all looking for blockchain applications inside the built environment. And they're going as far as looking at actual tokens and fractionalized ownership and NFT NFTs related to buildings. But you know, there's no, there's no rules and that that's the fun part. The rules are really, it's really the box that you build your build for yourself. And certainly the Gen X and boomers are, Define the box pretty clearly, but these next generations coming in, there's there's no rules. I mean, it, you know, as you said, even the contracts are coming in from other sources, so you're not bound by AIA's box or anyone like that. It's just it's been the paradigm has been so fixed for so long, it's hard to see outside of it. Yeah, yeah. There's tons of opportunity here, um, and I think yeah. I mean, this is something that we've talked a lot about in the past you know, privately, but this is one of those, I mean, it's the writings on the wall is that it is difficult to get existing leadership to change. And there's so much opportunity here that if they don't change, like that, the door is wide open, but you've got to be able to assume the risk yourself and get out there and, and find, that's one of the great examples of something like Arkadao, which is a digital collection of people who have similar interests to accomplish these kinds of things that we're talking about, uh, where, I mean, that hasn't really been possible until, you know, like just call it the last 10 or 15 or so years, right? Where now there's these, you know, the idea of a DAO at all is that these groups spin up 
and then they spin down and then a new group spins up and spins down and it could be a whole new set of people. It could be some of the people who were in the last group. There could be many going on at the same time, but the idea of coming together to accomplish a certain thing for a certain amount of time, and it doesn't mean you have to be employed by one firm for the next 20 years, but you could inject your value here and then you can go play a little bit over there and and really bring some of these opportunities to light and and capitalize upon them is this is this is the new frontier it is it is it's you know it it even pushes into academia and what we're teaching young architects it's you know it's that jury system is all fine and well but i think it it also doesn't quite create the innovators and entrepreneurs we're going to need going forward where you are setting up you know every time the time a building commits an autonomous transaction that person who designed it gets you know a buck 50 or something like that but it happens 500 times a day or something like that so it's just a complete rethink of where in revenue comes from in in, in the profession of architecture uh, just reframe to the whole built environment to smart cities to the fabrication elements there's it's more risk yes but that's where the reward's going to be too you you brought up education. It makes me think about how like YouTube's a great example of this, right? Which is you can learn any anything from someone you want to learn from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of going to a university and being forced to take this series of classes because that's the curriculum. And obviously there's there's components we could have a huge conversation around the value of that, right? Good and bad. But now if you could cherry pick the best of the best from all these different, you know. It doesn't even have to be a, a, a university, right? It could be a particular individual who has a certain set of values that you want to learn from, which increases your value because you took the time to listen to them and implement that stuff and connect the dots with something else that was really interesting. It is really rethinking these entire institutions that that we've always played by this kind of rule system before that it really is just kind of wide open now. Yeah, we, we really look for short-term relationships right now, nothing long-term. Uh, you know, and even looking from the perspective of IoT, I mean, we are, buildings are going to be scaffolds for hundreds, if not thousands of sensors uh, and all going to be chirping out data that someone's got to receive, process, and make actionable. Uh, and there's certainly startups already looking into that, but again, why not architects? So... Uh- what kind of projects would this is this not a good idea for? Are there any that that you feel like just are not a candidate for this type of system, the tracking, the blockchain application? If you're a creative creating something that you regard as intellectual property, this is the system for you. You did not answer my question, Adam. <laughs> so no, I can't way. think of any limitation. <laughs> um, if anything, it's the expansion to all creatives is is really what's of benefit here is if you create original material and you're the digital, you know, the outcome of the use of that, because it's authored digitally, if you if you gain value by sharing it, concert is what you need. It's like a, you're 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 the partner to enable that unlocking that value. And so and you've talked about this in terms of being like digital postage. Can mm-hmm. you explain that? Well, that's our pricing model, which is that we don't, unlike uh, other sharing platforms out there uh, that require seat licenses, we don't do that. Basically, when you 
mint a, a blockchain record with us. It's five bucks. So you pay as you use it. And in, in some cases, it can be uh, regarded as a reimbursable expense because you're building project record. Because it's democratized, you're building a project record for everybody, including the building owner, who's going to have access to this full prov- provenance of all of the data in their project. And so it, it's, it's a different economy, basically. It's, it's, it's about the record. It's not about the utility of the software, per se. It's... It also encourages people with this pricing model to encourage the whole team to participate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. There's no limitations uh, on that. Um, It also makes the ability to digitally sign things. Blockchain as a signature process is that you don't have to be there to physically sign everything. And for all the people who talk about, well, I just throw the JPEG on my title block of the signatory. Well, you're breaking the law. Technically you, there needs to be either a full blown digital signature or a web, sign you know that then is then scanned in order to be legal for pretty much all the states this is huge alone this just this little thing right here i think about the principals who do sign documents in firms and the need for them to be in a specific location at a specific time to spend a couple of hours signing documents is just a rare occurrence right the ability to actually do that because We've seen what's happened to this industry in the last two years alone, which is who knows where anybody is, right? <laughs> they're, they're in a lot of places uh, all the time. And, and you can understand, you know, especially with, with the way business is working right now, they have to just be out all the time doing these things. And they're rarely going to be able to come into the office, whatever that means, to do this kind of a thing. This is a big deal alone. I mean, you could talk about it even from a carbon perspective, right? But this is one of those things where that alone is a big deal to be able to effectively sign documents from anywhere, as long as you have an internet connection. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we, we love the idea that you, you know, one, the model manager, the document coordinator for a project can put all the assets together and then principal just might be on vacation in Bali, but they can sign everything from their phone that's where they should be they should that's be right. you know that's, <laughs> exactly <laughs> the whole team could be their, there the, for all we the know innovation they put in place all gives them all that free time so uh yeah that that's that's really the goal is to you know cause a rethink on what's the value of your data and then what does authorization of the data look like what does it mean when you authorize the use of this data uh and then with the prescription of right of reliance and then for the recipients it's this assurance that they can always look it up to see if they've got the most common you know if they've got the most current thing or even if it's authentic um they certainly want, wouldn't want to perform work with data that was either not current or someone had changed something when they weren't looking and it's not it's not the accurate data set and again it works at all scales um, we can be talking door hinges all the way through you know entire envelope systems so what what are the biggest impediments or pushback that you're seeing against, you know, just moving into this kind of way of working? I think it's a misunderstanding. What's the fear? The, it's less about fear. It's about a misunderstanding of when. When, you know, so they, a lot of folks just think it's for the big milestones. The thing is that there's a milestone. There might be three milestones a week in the new, in the sort of new data data verses that you're continuing. My, my latest file is a milestone. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Your latest <laughs> file is generating a tremendous amount of value. I mean, you, you would, 
you would not do well if you only shared collaborative data every month. Some people are asking it for it on a daily process. So it the, the real answer is anytime you're putting data at risk or even registering data that you're consuming that will be put at risk, whether it's, again, the soils report or the LIDAR scan, um, even the people who originate this content are, you know, they're putting their information at risk as well. So it, it affects the whole ecosystem. It's not just the architects, it's also the engineers and the surveyors and anyone who's creating, again, um, original information that is being consumed in some way to generate value. Um, as antiseptic as that sounds, that is that is really the reason concert exists, is that it's for any time information is shared. We don't care about work in progress. As long as it's inside your firewall, do whatever you want. Concert's not going to bring you any value to really if you, you know, if Charlie and Donna are erasing each other's work every day. <laughs> and um, we'll leave that to your internal management to, to solve. But but once it's put out there, there's a purpose you share the data. And if there's no purpose for sharing the data, don't share it by any means. You know, hopefully this helps some firms, you know, even understand their their processes and policies a little bit. So they're not just throwing the data over the wall whenever that they're being much more purposeful of like, why did you create that? And what was its purpose? Well, for it's being shared, did you want the owner to review and approve? Or were you just creating a rendering because you really didn't want to be drawing those bathrooms that we needed you to be drawing? And that's often the case too, is people are kind of working with the fun software when they should be doing the real work with the unfun software. I mean, that's anecdotal, but, but that's certainly the case is that we're so we're so free with the data, despite, you know, all the leaders worrying about giving away RIP, what they're not really understanding is that people are attaching and sharing through Teams and Slack and email and whatever their file sharing software is or up on um, the big clouds. You know, the, the, the data is moving already. The question is, is do you know why and do you, you should and you should care why? and do more to control that. Is there anything we missed here in this conversation that you think is worth adding to it? Um, I think we covered it all. I think there were great questions, especially about just what what's going to light the spark for people. You know, the, the big answer is, you know, we, we need more leaders basically talking about this. Uh, we, we need to, you know, the lawyers need to play a role and that's where the contracts are, but we, we just need more people talking about what's possible and really doing research and, where revenue can be found and what, what what's the different points of engagement, especially in building operations. Um, it's not enough to do uh, POE studies at the end. They're, they're usually very biased anyhow. The questions asked are only ones that have positive answers that help you get the next job. Leading um, the witness. Mm-hmm, yeah. Exactly. They're very <laughs> leading. So, no, just well, thank you for the opportunity to share our story here. As always, this has been a fantastic conversation. I look forward to the next one. So I'll put all of the links to where people can follow you in the show notes. And I think you mentioned it earlier, but getconcert.com. Getconcert.com and please follow our blog. We uh, produce something every week and we've been just, we're just finishing up an eight part series talking about the new AIA contract documents and their potential. So hopefully people can look through that. We talk about leadership. We talk about data management. We talk about new opportunities. We've been talking about accounting. So, um, it really we're You're hitting the highlight we're reel. trying to hit all the dimensions <laughs> of a functioning practice and what they can do with this yep. and it's awesome um, you know our success is their success and vice versa 
Well, thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for the work that you are doing at concert. And uh, I, I do think that it is a, this is a critical thing to look at. I mean, there, there is a, a strong why this matters component to this. It's not just like, huh, I wonder how this is going to be important po- possibly in the future. There, there is a strong case here. I, I find it a, a really interesting topic. And I feel like there is so much opportunity here. Uh, for, especially for the emerging professionals and the, the the mindset, the technical mindset that that you know we find in the audience of the show to step up and become the leaders that you're talking about. Yeah, create what's new. It's uh, so important. Yep. If you're not evolving, you're dying. Right? Yes. So. <laughs> yes, Thanks, Adam. Thank you so much, Evan. Thank you to Avail for their support of this podcast episode. Visit getavail.com to see their holistic approach to content management today. This show is part of the Gabled Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gabledmedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out. And of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E Troxel. Talk to you soon.